0: morning to you for the first time. It was a good evening the other times. It's good to see each of you. Good to see some new faces here. We've had a week of looking at the Word of God, and I trust it's been washing our hearts and preparing us to continue on in service for God. Aren't you thankful for the church? Where would we be without the church, without the brotherhood? This morning, I invite your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, entitled the message, The Ministry of Encouragement. The church should be a place where we have people who can encourage us. The purpose of the church, as scripture gives, is for our protection, and so that requires us to be on the lookout for each other, to direct each other. It also is for that of teaching us, and so that means we need to point each other in a direction. Just think about it. Last night, we were talking about child rearing. Think about where you learned your skills at disciplining children. Didn't you look at some other people in the church to get some cues for how to do that? And in our marriages, we look at others. It's important. The church provides comfort at times of need, at times of distress. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to pick a few verses here that speak about the word encouragement. In verse 11, it says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. And the word comfort there is encourage or exhort. Edify one another, even as also ye do. To edify is to build up. We talk about building an edifice. When we edify someone, we build them up. But down in verse 14, it uses some words. It says exhort. And exhort is the same word that was used in verse 11 for comfort. So when we encourage someone, we are giving them some admonition sometimes, encouraging them to go in a certain direction. And the word comfort in verse 14 is the idea of consoling or strengthening or supporting. Now, don't tell me that you never need support. Sometimes we don't want to accept it but we need it, all right? And so God has planned for the church to be a place to find support. Now, verse 14, it says, warn them that are unruly. It says, comfort or encourage the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Now, when somebody is feeble-minded, it means that they're at a low point. They're at a place where they're dispirited. We get there. We have these roller coasters. We get this place where we need someone to get our mind thinking straight again. Support the weak is the idea of propping up, holding on to and saying, Hey, you can do it. I'm going to be here to assist you. Encouragement is not just that of trying to make somebody feel good. It's deeper than that. The biblical mandate to be an encourager is deeper than just making them feel good. It's contributing to their good and walking with them. It's inspiring them with hope and with courage and with confidence. I'd like to go to an example. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we have Paul in prison. And Paul is in prison for his faith. He's alone, he's there without the body. In fact, he's miles away from where the church body that he had been relating to was located. In First, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia being turned away from me, of whom are Philegulus and Hermogenes, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. For he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. We're talking about 800 miles between Ephesus and where Paul was in prison. And yet he had a man that came and found him and encouraged him. We look at Paul as being a man that maybe didn't need as much encouragement as we do. Don't we feel puny alongside of Paul? And yet Paul was human, and he needed to have flesh and blood to come alongside of him and say, Look, I'm praying for you. I'm propping you up. I'm here to support you. We look at people who are strong in the faith and think, Well, they don't need many words of encouragement. But how dare we think that because the devil may be working harder on them and he may need those special words of, of encouragement to continue to be faithful. I like the terms that are used here in verse 16 where he says, Onesiphorus, often refresh me. Some people are Draining. Some people, after you've visited with them, you walk away and feel like you're sapped of energy. There's other people you walk away and you feel like you're invigorated. Which kind of person are you? Are you a kind of person that when people get to know you, they feel encouraged by you just by being in your presence? I'm not talking about just putting on a front. It's good for us to be honest and say when we're not really on top of things. We go to the back of the church and we shake hands with people. Well, how was your week? Well, it was good. How are you doing? Good? No, really, how are you doing? Do we sense when somebody has a need? Do we let the Spirit of God lead us to someone in the congregation That maybe needs a good, sturdy handshake, a good look in the eye, and say, I'm glad you're my brother. I'm glad you're my sister in the Lord. This gentleman, Onesiphorus, oft refreshed Paul, revived him, brought relief from his discouragement, from his loneliness, from his weariness from his pressures. Have you ever been in a stuffy place and the air was really heavy and you're there and you're wondering where can we get some fresh air? And the room gets fuller and more people and more hot air and more discomfort and then the trustee gets up and he opens up the window and in comes the morning air and or the evening air and you feel refreshed. You feel like you got some oxygen again. That's the picture I get here. The picture of a hot stuffy room, a feeling of being eh, kind of in the wrong place. Place I shouldn't be in. And then all of a sudden, the window is lifted. Ah, ah, all refreshed. You know people and I know people that have taken the ministry of encouragement to a new level, to a high level, higher level than I take. And they have been serious about encouraging every person that they meet. They are a person that gives you a sense of worth, a sense of uh, belonging. Every one of us is equal in the eyes of God. Not one of us should feel superior to someone else. We all are, are special to God. And so, do we convey to other people that we are valuing their life? I'd love to talk to the little children. You know, when I was a boy in a city church setting, there was a deacon that he would get down and he'd shake my hand and he'd pay interest to me. My brother was one year older than I was and he would go through first And that's how he remembered the names. He remembered that Carl came before Dale and he'd call us by name. Sometimes he'd think, if my brother wasn't with me, now, are you Carl or are you Dale? But he would take special interest. I remember that deacon brother. He's gone now. But that brother took time for me. You, as adults, can take time for little children and they'll remember and they'll value you as a person because you valued them. In the brotherhood, do we value each other? It says in verse 16 that Anasaphorus was not ashamed of Paul's chain, not ashamed that he was in prison. Now, turn with me to chapter 4, verse 16, where apparently there were people who were ashamed of Paul's situation. Maybe he had been too bold for the faith. Bolder than some wanted to be. And he says there in verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. It gives the idea that there were people who were ashamed, but Anesaphoros came 800 miles, perhaps for some business, but he took time to stop and to oft refresh Paul. I wish I knew how he did it. Wish I knew what he said. Wish I knew what he took to Paul. But he found a way to encourage a brother who was sitting in prison alone. He was not ashamed of my chain. And then it says, when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. It sounds like he didn't know exactly where Paul was when he first came. It sounds like he was persistent until he found where his dear brother was. Paul was in prison for his faith. Was it a risk? To find Paul. I can only imagine that it was. A risk to identify with a man who stood for Christ. So we see Onesiphorus here showing concern for Paul. Being unselfish and being persistent in coming to this man for encouraging him. It says in 2 Timothy four seventeen, which we were at 4, 12. It says there in 17, notwithstanding, even though people had not stood with him, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And I know that the Lord will stand with us and will strengthen us. But what a blessing when someone else also stands with us and strengthens us. Can you imagine the funeral of a loved one and not having a church to rally around you? Can you imagine some of the pain and sorrow that you've experienced in not having a church around you? Paul had an encourager. We have a ministry of encouragement that we are mandated to do. It's not an option. We will need it sometime, and certainly there's people in this congregation this morning that need encouragement. <clears throat> certainly amongst a group of this size, there are people who've had a rough week. Certainly, certainly, The devil doesn't want to let any of us go. We need encouragement. What are some things that we can do to pour courage into someone's life? I mentioned about interest in children. But how about interest in an older brother? We can show interest. We can sit and listen. Do you know how to listen? Do I know how to listen? Do I keep my mouth shut when I listen? Do I give time for the person to express how they're feeling? Did you ever sit with someone and you didn't say much of anything, but when they got all done, they said, thank you, that was a big help. You didn't say anything, hardly. All you did was listen. The person talked through their problem themselves, and they also found solutions just by speaking out loud, just by knowing that there was someone that they could bounce things off of. A person who's a good listener sit and makes eye contact with people and gives keen interest in what they're saying, and is waiting to speak until they're finished we sometimes have the answers last night i was talking about things that bug me as a husband but you know for my wife things that bug her is if i don't take time to just listen if i don't just look her in the eye and give her my fullest attention she doesn't want solutions for everything she just wants somebody to listen That's a wonderful opportunity for me to really feel the heartbeat of my wife. Sit and listen. What is her tone of voice? Does she have worry on her face? Is there a fear that's being expressed? When you truly listen to someone, you you pick that up. You pick up whether there's a tear in the eye or not. You say, it's okay to cry. This really hurts, doesn't it? Let's pray together. I want to encourage you, don't just say you're going to pray for somebody. Do it right in the pew, right at the back of the church, right over the telephone. Pray for somebody right now. What's it mean that someone prays for you? You hear their heartbeat. You hear them supporting you. Tremendous encouragement. I don't know how much Onesiphorus prayed for Paul, but I have to believe he did, and that he showed interest, and that he really listened, and that he maybe brought him some food, and maybe asked him, Paul, how are you really doing? You've been a pillar to me, but how are you really doing? Maybe he took out the Bible and he read some scripture. They would have had the Old Testament, wouldn't have they? I wonder what he read. Maybe he went to the Psalms and read something of encouragement. Maybe he confirmed his love for them. Someone who is truly an encourager doesn't just say the nice things but they say things that are going to be helpful to identify, yes, this is the problem, but I'm going to stand beside you and I'm going to walk beside you through this situation. I grew up on a dairy farm, and my father said, there's not a thing on this farm that you boys aren't going to learn to do. So I'll remember the day. The dad said, Dale, it's your turn to cut down a tree. And the neighbor has a tree by his house, about six feet from his house, and uh, he'd like you to cut it down. I'm going to send you to do it. Me? It's right close to the house. You can do it. You've watched me do it many times. It's your turn to go cut down the tree. I'm in the barn milking. I'll watch you. So I went up there, and I notched the tree. And I prayed that it wouldn't hit the house. And I carefully cut a little bit and cut a little bit. And finally, the tree went down away from the house. Now, I want you to understand the tree was only about this tall. <laughs> I want you to know I pushed the tree to help it go the right direction. It was only about this big around. You know what that did for me? When dad said, yes, I know you can do it. You know what it does for us when someone tells us that you will be able to stand the test of Satan? God will give you power over this test. You can have victory. I'm going to pray for your victory. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to check up on you. You know what that does? It moves us to a different level. It moves us to hope and courage and confidence but we have to stand with that person. Life becomes complicated. Life isn't meant to be easy. There's sometimes a pile up of trials, one right after another. And those trials can just sap all of our energy. And then we feel forsaken. And loneliness sets in, and no one seems to understand. Maybe there's regular defeat in certain areas, and we're overwhelmed by that. We need an encourager. Maybe it doesn't seem like we have heard from God for a while. doesn't seem like He answers our prayers. We need encouragement from the brotherhood. The New Testament mandates us to look out for each other. I'd like to turn to Romans twelve fifteen. It mandates us which means it's required. I don't know what happens in this community when there's a fire, when someone loses their house or their barn. But I hope that there are people who visit and volunteer help. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. It's difficult to even want to talk about some people's situations. We were at a funeral of a suicide in October. Such an unnecessary event. What could have been done to encourage this young 22 year old? I don't know. We went to the funeral and we tried to encourage the parents. But you know, that day wasn't the end of it for them, they're still hurting. So I made a call about a week ago, <clears throat> got the answer machine and says, "I'm just thinking about yous, and I'm praying for yous." That man called back, and again, he got my answer machine. And so my wife's talked to him this week, and I will try to talk with him after I get home. It's not over, it's five months down, but it's not over. The mandate is to weep with them that weep. It's not easy to go to a viewing or to a funeral. But we are mandated to go. And there's something about it that affects our perspective on the importance of life and being ready for death. It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting the Bible says. Why? Because it gives us the jolt that there is an end. It gives us an evaluation as to whether we are ready to meet God, should it be our turn. And 10 out of 10 of us will die. 100 out of 100 of us will die. It's inevitable, unless the Lord returns first. Rejoice with them that rejoice, and weep with them that weep. It says something about our character when we can rejoice with people who get something that seems to be better than what we have it. But in the church, we have this mandate to do this. Turn over to Romans 15.1. And some of us fall in this category today, and some of us don't. But next week, some of us might be in the opposite category. It says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The Bible says that we are to be willing to die for each other. If that's the case, can we sacrifice to encourage, to help bear the infirmity of the weak and not to please ourselves. Our text said this morning, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says that we are supposed to lift up the hands of those that are weary, Lift up the hands which hang down. And I don't have my right verse there, do I? So my verse is wrong, but the idea is accurate. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Thank you, my dear brother. Don't like when we don't have the reference. Here we go. Hebrews 12, 12. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed. Have you had the experience of your hands being lifted up by someone? Have you felt it was a blessed thing to have a friend in a time of need? An encourager, someone who takes this mandate seriously, is proactive. They're looking for ways to encourage, even before crisis comes. They're forward-looking into the life of a person and thinking about them and their potential situation or need. It was an encouragement for me as a young person when older people came up and said Dale this is something that you're maturing in can we do that to our young people this is something that I see you're maturing in yeah. or I see that God has some special plan for your life I can remember spots where I stood where somebody came up and encouraged me maybe you can also Will we be that encourager for someone else? Will we tell them how we see them growing, changing, and learning? We'll be there to say, I'm noticing what God is doing in your life. Will we give people a warm smile and extend a sturdy handshake? Will we express how they've benefited our life, and how they benefited others' lives. Someone suggested one time that when they hear a good comment about someone, they try to tell that person that they heard a good comment about them. I thought that was a great idea, so I'm trying to put that into practice. So if I hear a good comment about you this afternoon, I'm going to try to look you up and tell you what that good comment is. It's not to make your head big. It's just to say somebody's noticing the value that you have to this congregation and to the work of God. This morning, the challenge is for us to be proactive and forward-looking. Perhaps we know someone today who's feeling tired and feeling weak. Perhaps we have someone in our pew that's feeling That way. Maybe they've experienced some disappointment and discouragement. Maybe they're uncertain about their future. Maybe they're facing extra pressure and difficulties and limitations. Will you walk by and not say anything? Or will you acknowledge that you are aware of it and that you care? Let's not wait till there's a suicide or till there's someone who is completely undone in depression to reach out to them. Will you help? Are you willing to be a Nessaphorus? to off-refresh someone? Will your presence be a drain on someone, or will be an inspiration to someone? Are you willing to sit and listen, to really hear the heartbeat of someone, and then to pray with them? That's my prayer this morning. That's how the church goes on. We have people who are willing to take serious the mandate of being an encourager, That's how the church functions well. Not just making somebody feel good, but edifying them. Maybe even admonishing them, pointing out something that's going on in their life that isn't proper, and saying, Let's fix this. I'm going to walk with you. Let's fix this. Let's pray.